The Lifestylist, episode 32, featuring Dr. Kirk Parsley. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This is, of course, Luke Story from LukeStory.com, and today's episode features Dr. Kirk Parsley, who is a world-renowned expert on all things sleep. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you know that we had an episode back on number 16 with Klaus Pummer, which was also focused on the ancient art of sleep. However, in the episode with Klaus, we were talking about your sleep environment. So your bedding, your bed, the actual space in which you sleep and how to optimize that. By contrast, in the interview you're about to hear with Dr. Parsley, we talk about the science of sleep. So the hormone piece, the food piece, why sleep is so important, how many hours do we need, the dangers of common sleep medications, the possible dangers of melatonin, what are the main disruptors of sleep, how does sex and orgasm affect our sleep, what are the best supplements and do we get strung out on them, is there any danger of becoming dependent or addicted to them, what food should we be eating to optimize our sleep patterns, what food should we avoid, what's the optimal diet for someone who really cares about their sleep. So this is a topic that is so, so important to me and it's so crucial. And I remember my grandmother, May, God rest her soul, who lived until she was 99 years old. And she, my whole childhood, my whole early adult years just always harped on me about the importance of sleep. And that was like in my live fast, die young phase, you know, when I used to hear that a lot, especially, and I just didn't get it. And now that I'm a little older, I'm 45. I mean, sleep is just so crucial to me. And I know that it's something that, you know, medicine and people in natural healing and the health scene are really starting to take to. It's becoming quite a trendy topic and it's so well-deserving of that trend. So I'm thrilled to bring you this episode. Please listen up. Please take notes. Go to the show notes. Get your episode upgrade. There's a lot of really dense, valuable information in here. And although it's scientific, I think Dr. Parsley really does a great job of bringing it to us in a very common language that's easy to understand. So enjoy this episode and may you sleep like a bear. Take your phone or take your mouse and click on subscribe right now on this podcast so you don't miss next week's episode number 33 with James Swanick, where we talk about how to quit alcohol if you're a heavy social drinker, as well as the top habits of entrepreneurs. Hey, I've got a cool feature at LukeStory.com to tell you about. It's our support page. You can go to LukeStory.com forward slash support, and there you will find three quick and easy ways to make a monetary pledge to help support the cost of the podcast. You can pay with a credit card, PayPal, or even go on Patreon through the link there, where you can make a monthly pledge for as little as $2 and receive exclusive rewards every damn month, okay? So go to LukeStory.com forward slash support and do whatever you can to help contribute to the show. And if you just want to listen, that's a great contribution as well. Thank you so much for your support. Today's episode is brought to you by Samina. Samina Healthy Sleep Systems are designed to incorporate what we now know is required for restful, restorative sleep. Every aspect of healthy sleep is addressed, including unrivaled back support, 
moisture and temperature regulation, plus pure comfort in a very clean, hygienic bed. Like people, Samina is a system comprised of layers, each working together to support the body's needs for healthy sleep. The components are made from natural, non-toxic, hypoallergenic materials and provide the essential elements, even grounding, to fall asleep relaxed, stay asleep, and awaken refreshed. Samina is simply healthy sleep. Go to JustHealthySleep.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 5% off all beds and accessories, which can save you a substantial bit of cash considering the initial investment in this system. Or if you're in Southern California, you can also make an appointment on the site to visit the Pasadena showroom and check out Samina in person. Dr. Kirk Parsley served as an undersea medical officer at Naval Special Warfare Group 1 from 2009 to 2013. While there, he led the development and supervised the group's first sports medicine rehabilitation center. He's a former SEAL and received his medical degree from Bethesda Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences in 2004. Dr. Parsley has been a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine since 2006 and served as Naval Special Warfare's expert on sleep medicine. After leaving the Navy, he went into concierge medicine and consulting. He continues to consult for multiple corporations and professional athletes and teams. Dr. Parsley lectures worldwide on sleep, wellness, and hormonal balance and is currently completing a book on sleep and health optimization. Really great to have you on the show, Kirk. Well, really great to be on the show. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, man. So I was studying your bio, and I've been familiar with your site, and I've heard you on some other shows and stuff like that. And you have an interesting uh, perspective uh, in terms of your background being a former, former SEAL. And for those of you watching on video now, I can't see your whole body, but you look like a pretty robust dude. You look like kind of a badass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, but, yeah. I, you know, the seals didn't make me a big guy. It just, uh, you know, it just fit, I guess. You're, uh, born, you're born that way and then gravitated toward the obvious choice yeah, to protect yeah. and serve. Yeah. And it, uh, at it, six, one, two forty, I didn't graduate. I, I didn't uh, gravitate towards gymnastics. Right. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Makes sense. I did try to do triathlons for a while, though, which was kind of the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. And I did that for about three years and gave up. I can, <laughs> I can imagine that probably wasn't the, the best choice. Yeah. So how did you, uh, you're a doctor and you specialize in sleep. How did you get from, you know, uh, the military to your medical training? And how did you become this guru on sleep in the first place? Yeah, so... I was actually a SEAL first, um, right out of high school. In fact, I, I dropped out of high school um, to go to SEAL training. Um, had to have my parents sign a waiver because I was only 17. Um, and I went, you know, I joined the Navy to be a SEAL, uh, which was actually at the time, that was the, the you know, things used to be really different, how you became a SEAL. Um, it, and... You weren't you weren't really guaranteed a shot at, at going through SEAL training, even if you passed the test, the screening test to get in. Um, it was totally up to your command that you were heading towards whether or not you would be allowed to go to SEAL training. So I signed up under this program that guaranteed me a shot to go to SEAL training because that's the only thing I wanted to do. Um, if I would have ended up on a ship, you know, I 
like I, you know, man overboard the first day I would have been trying to swim the shore. Like I, I had no interest in being in the Navy. I just wanted to be a SEAL. Um, so yeah, it was a gamble because of course, if I failed SEAL training, like 85% of people do, then I would have ended up on a ship, but things worked out. Um, I, I made it through SEAL training. I spent, um, you know, six years in the SEAL teams and this was of course, you know, pre nine 11. So, you know, we didn't do nearly the same kind of work that the guys do now. Um, you know, we were we did a lot of training and a lot of training other people's militaries, and then we did, um, you know, limited sort of police action stuff. You know, we had the first Iraqi war, which I think where like four bullets were shot, and and that one. Um, and uh, anyway, so it sounds ridiculous. But it's kind of bored of being a SEAL because it's, it's really the same stuff over and over again. It was like train, deploy, train, deploy, train, deploy. And after doing that uh, three times, I was like, uh, I'm going to do something else. It's kind of a young single man's job, I felt like. And I'd met a girl, so I was kind of becoming neither. Um, and um, really didn't plan on becoming a doctor, but I always had an interest in health and fitness and primarily around my own performance. Um, but I just read a lot about that kind of stuff and studied a lot about that. And so I thought I'd do something in that field, like, I don't know, strength and conditioning coach, or maybe a physical therapist. I don't know. Um, Anyways, decided uh, eventually to uh, go for medical school, um, which was, you know, kind of ironic being a high school dropout. Um, uh, for some reason, I thought I could do it. <laughs> Probably the confidence gained as a SEAL. And uh, when I was applying to medical school, I found out that the SEAL, or I found out that the military had their own medical school, which I did not know. I And I found it in some, like, Kaplan medical school review book. And... I said, well, wow, I should try that because I was already married, I already had kids, and they paid me to go to medical school. But um, just like any other contractor at the Navy, you pay you pay it back with time. And so I owed them eight years as a doctor uh, once I finished uh, medical school. And I figured I would get back to the SEAL teams, and I did. Um, so I got back to the SEAL teams as, the, as their doctor, and they... Uh, there were still plenty of SEALs that were SEALs when I was a SEAL. Um, so they knew me, they trusted me. Um, SEALs are like pilots or professional athletes or any you know kind of high performing personnel like that. They When they go see their doctor for their checkup, uh, they just say, everything's fine. Like I got no problems whatsoever. They'll, I mean, they'll duct tape their arm back on and, and go in there and lie about it, you know? Um, but they would come in my office because they trusted me and say, hey, man, let me tell you what's really going on with me. Um, and it was just this whole litany of sy symptoms that really, I mean, didn't fit disease, but it just was very non-ideal for a SEAL, right? I mean, it, they, you know, they were talking about motivation issues and emotional issues, concentration issues, sex drive, um, body composition shifts, feeling like they're getting weaker, aching all the time, you know, um, more prone to injury, kind of all this stuff. It was probably around the 100th guy who came in my office to tell me exactly the same story, which I could have, you know, told him before at, at this point. That like the hundredth guy who told me I use Ambien every night to go to sleep. I thought, well, hmm, I wonder if that I wonder if that's playing into it. <laughs> but you know, as a medical doctor, you go to medical training. 
they don't teach you anything about sleep. They don't teach you anything about nutrition. They don't teach you anything about exercise. They don't teach you anything about stress control. So like I knew disease and like what pills to give for which diseases and what procedures to order to evaluate for disease and that, like that's what I knew. So I thought, you know, if somebody had a sleep problem, I would have given them Ambien too. Like that's all I knew. Um, so I started reading about the physiology of sleep and I started reading about the side effects or the changes that go on with your sleep when you use any kind of sleep drug. And I quickly decided, well, this could actually be like the unifying idea. Like this could literally explain every single simple, every single symptom that they're that they're telling me about. Now, I wasn't naive enough to think that it was definitely the cause of everybody, of every symptom, but it it was associated with every symptom. And so, um, you know, the biggest thing I wanted to do is get their hormones back in order because when they started telling me all these things, the first thing I did is just order these huge batteries of tests and they all came back with low testosterone. They all came back with thyroid issues. They all came back with low IGF-1, which is like the growth hormone marker. Um, they all came back with high oxidation levels and high inflammatory markers and high fasting insulin and pretty high uh, blood glucose for guys who, you know, know, guys who eat well. I mean, guys who are, you know, focusing on their diet and are pretty smart guys. And the military was not about to let me give guys hormones. <laughs> I know now that that wouldn't have been the right thing to do anyways. In those days, the people that uh, were sort of in what they call functional medicine now or integrative medicine, um, those guys were all about, yeah, just give them hormones and that'll fix everything. And I couldn't do that because I was in the military and they were in the military and that would just wouldn't work out. And so I really kind of became the sleep guy um, as a sleight of hand because they would let me talk about sleep in front of you know thousands of seals at a time. I could do these big lectures and then I could talk about how the hormones are all produced during sleep and then all the deleterious effects to your hormones and then your physiology and then your performance if you don't sleep well. And then how sleep drugs and alcohol interfere with all of that and lo and behold, you know, I got, got guys on a few over-the-counter supplements, got them off of their, uh, you know, their sleep drugs and, uh, you know, their free testosterone went up 300%, 500%, you know, something like that. And so they didn't need, they didn't need testosterone. I mean, their testosterone was so low that like the general practitioner would have said, you know, you need testosterone, but they needed sleep and they needed quality or like real sleep, non-drug sleep. Wow. Wow. Interesting. So you had to go on kind of a covert, <laughs> a covert mission there <laughs> within, within that system. Yeah, yeah. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I, I imagine like crazy alternative medicine is not, you know, something that's, oh, you know, yeah. encouraged. They're all up in my business. Like every, <laughs> like every couple of months, uh, I was, I was getting, um, evaluated for some sort of voodoo that I was practicing because I was also treating adrenal fatigue, which okay. makes sense. I mean, Eight, you know, eight, nine, ten years of combat, probably gonna have some adrenal fatigue. I mean, let's be honest about it. I don't care how tough you are. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that was totally poo-pooed. And um, yeah, I mean, I knew I was sort of sacrificing my career. Um, if if I had wanted to stay in the Navy, it wouldn't have probably worked out in my favor um, um, because I was sort of disobeying the establishment 
but I had to do that to treat the guys, right? And it's like, those are my two choices. Like I can do what I know is right, or I can obey the establishment and be a company man in advance. And oftentimes, you know, even in, you know, obviously the military, but even in corporations, oftentimes doing good work is at odds with climbing the corporate ladder or, you know, or whatever, so. Yeah. So when you finally decided to make a move, um, and just did you start your own practice, or what? What was the next move after that, where you found that you could reach more people? Because now it's like, I mean, when you go to your website, you have this whole enterprise based on sleep, and it looks like you have a really great supplement that I'm interested in trying too. Uh, yeah. Which I'm I'm already using uh, some of those things, and you know, like when did you kind of click and go, oh shit, this is? I think I have an actual career here. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, uh, you know, again, this is just something that sort of unfolded. Um, the lectures that I was doing, that I alluded to doing earlier, that, that I was doing for the SEAL teams were what we called these retreats. So there was, before a SEAL team would deploy, they would take the SEALs and all of their family off to some resort and they would have days of classes about, you know, dealing with the stresses of divorce, or not divorce, of, <laughs> of uh, deployment. and Same thing. Uh, yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, your eventual, your, your impending divorce, but let's talk about this deployment. Um, and, you know, and they, and they talked about, you know, just various things that they thought would help the guys. Um, and so they would bring me in to talk about sleep and they'd bring in Rob Wolf to talk about nutrition. And a big part of my sleep lecture, probably 25% of my sleep lecture was about nutrition. About 25% of his nutrition lecture was about sleep. Um, and so, you know, we just hit it off and had this total bromance and um, just started kind of doing projects together. And I went on his podcast and that led to another podcast. And then that led to other lecture opportunities. And I was still in the Navy when all that happened. When my time was served, so to speak, uh, when I got paroled from the Navy, um, I knew that I was going to leave this huge void, right? Because they were going to replace me with another doctor, but it was just going to be a doctor, right? Like just Joe Blow, uh, general practitioner, who probably wasn't going to do anything that I had been doing for these guys for you know the past uh, four or five years, however long I was there. Um, and uh, so I tried, I worked with this other guy uh, named Joe Musselman, uh, and he was trying to start a post-career sort of um, uh, condensed educational pipeline industry specific um, job assistant program for retiring SEALs, right? Because he he kind of felt like, you know, all these SEALs who are these amazing people and amazingly capable, but they don't know, they don't know how to translate what they do into the civilian sector's language. And the civilian sector doesn't know either. Um, but, you know, SEALs can do a lot of stuff other than shoot people in the face. I mean, they're like, they're, they're really capable people and they learn a lot, a lot of stuff. And um, so he had this passion to help people kind of progress into, you know, the next phase of life. Because, I mean, let's face it, most of these guys are retiring and they're like 40, right? So they have a whole other career ahead of them if they want it. Um, and then I wanted to do the medical component of it um, because these guys are so damaged. They've had so many surgeries. They've been on pain medications for so long. They've been using sleep drugs for so long. Like, you know, they've had so many traumatic brain injuries that it's laughable. I mean, it's 10, 20, 30 times more than the NFL guys have. Um, 
And so I was like, I want to do this really super condensed year of medical rehabilitation while they're going through their education so they can actually learn and, and you know, and concentrate and focus and remember and, and uh, absorb what they're learning. So we started this non-for-profit together um, and we went around like kind of pitching for money uh, to do this. And the medical component was just too expensive for anybody. Um, so I... I uh, my mentor in medicine, the guy I worked for when I was in college, um, he had a he had like this ten thousand square foot concierge clinic, and I said, you know, when I approached him and said, you know, could we run the seals through here, and I'll come through and I'll treat them all, and you know, we can figure out a way, you know, for for you to monetize it a little bit, but I wasn't going to monetize it. I was like, I was just going to give my time away for free, and then I would do my other stuff um, for my own income. And uh, I did that for about a year. Um, the sleep supplement that you alluded to earlier, um, and the reason the reason it was originally called the sleep cocktail is because that's what the seals called it. Because I, I started with like uh, vitamin D three because this is like the first thing that I learned um, about sleep, and I thought, well, you know, they work at night. You know, they sleep during the day. When they do go outside, they're totally covered from head to toe. So they're probably all vitamin D3 deficient. I tested and they were. And so I thought, here, take vitamin D3 and you won't need Ambien anymore. And of course, it wasn't that simple. And so then I just keep adding one ingredient after another, after another, after another. And, um, you know, eventually I came up with this uh, combination that worked. And like every single seal who came to see me to get off of Ambien was able to get off of Ambien, even if they had been taking it for three or four years. Um, but you know, but you have to replace it with something. You can't just take away their their medication. And so, um, the problem was it was costing them like one hundred and fifty dollars a month because they were having to go buy everything separately, and they had to buy them in three different stores all over San Diego, and some were in powders, and some were in liquids, and some were capsules, and they couldn't travel with it. And they kept saying, "Doc, make." just make a product out of it, make a product out of it. And I was like, all right, well, so, uh, while I was working at that concierge practice, I tried to work with several, um, supplement companies to produce the product for me. Cause I didn't really want to do, uh, I didn't want I didn't want to own a supplement company or run a supplement company. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and I just couldn't find anybody that I really gelled with that I really trusted. And, um, so I stepped away from that practice uh, about 18 months ago and I started this supplement business and it's what I've been doing mostly. I mean, I've, I've still kept up consulting and I still keep up, you know, lecturing and all that stuff. But I, you know, for the last year and a half of my life, I've, I've been the CEO of a, of a supplement company. That's what I'm doing. Awesome. And it's, it's stuff I knew nothing about. So yeah. Um, I'm fortunately we're probably at a revenue stream now to where I can hire like a COO or somebody who can actually run this and knows what the hell they're doing. And I can just be like the smiling, happy face. Hey, Doc Parsley. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I've talked to a couple of founders of supplement companies actually and have heard a very similar story that the, you know, necessity was the mother of invention where they, same thing, they couldn't find the quality or the type of, um, of products that they themselves wanted to use. Like Dave Asprey is a great example of that, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. you know, he knows what the good stuff is. No one has it. So he's just like, you know what, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to find a way to do it myself. And, and then, you know, there you have like the beginnings of an entrepreneur maybe by, you know, the fact that you just have to find a way to do it and also to share it with other people. 
Yeah. Yeah. So and, I, and that's really what happened. I mean, it's, yeah. it's exactly Dave's story. And I know Dave pretty well. And uh, Dave's story is very similar to mine. It's like, I, I needed a really high quality product that I could give to the team guys. And the fact that I can sell it to the general population pays for that idea, essentially. And that right. was kind of the motivation behind it. You know? God bless you, man. I love, I love guys like you because I'm an avid consumer of supplements and you know all this kind of stuff. And it really is difficult to weed through the garbage. Oh yeah, uh, you know, I did an interview yeah. with someone yesterday from a company called Natural Stacks, and we were talking about, you know, just it feels so bad for people to just wander into a GNC and like go to the section on sleep and take a bunch of crap that's just, yeah. you know, they're just going to pee out that isn't going to work. Um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about the sleep drugs, though, because before we get into you know natural supplementation and things like that, because I have had uh, a few friends in my recent years that just. You know, they just cannot sleep, and so they've resorted to um, Ambien and things like that. And to me, just having a, you know not much experience with like sleeping pills, like Ambien or even just over the counter stuff. Uh, but they've always seemed to really screw my head up. Like I remember, um, <laughs> my you know for a while I was getting a prescription to Ambien. This must be like ten years ago, and uh, I didn't take it all the time. But just if I was in a rough patch of sleep, and I remember once I. I took, you know, half an Ambien and, you know, the the instructions were that you were to have it next to your bed. And when you're like literally laying down to go to sleep, then you reach over and take it and you go to sleep. Right. But I, you know, I jumped up to answer an email or something after I'd taken it and went into this like <laughs> psychotic sleepwalking spell, you know, and scared yeah. the hell out of the girl that happened to be there uh, at the time. And it, it was a, it was a scary kind of experience, you know, and, and then I, I kind of got turned off because it was just, it was some zombie apocalypse type of reaction. It was just so weird. And then I started to notice if I would take it like in traveling or something like that, trying to beat jet lag or get my circadian rhythms on point, it just would make me feel so brain dead and just emotionally weird the next day. So what are, what are the dangers in, in using drugs rather than, you know, natural supplementation? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the medical literature, if somebody comes in and tells you they can't sleep, you know, the first thing you're supposed to do is talk to them about relaxation techniques and basic sleep hygiene and stuff. But I, I would venture to say that most physicians don't know much basic sleep, sleep hygiene either. Um, and they only have six minutes to see you. So how much could they possibly teach you? Um, but then it goes to the Z drugs, like you're alluding to Ambien and Lunesta or, or Z drugs. And then you, and then the next thing you give is uh, benzodiazepines, which are like Valium and Xanax and uh, lorazepam, those types of things. And then you go into antidepressants, and then you start going into sedatives, and then you start going into hypnotics, and then you start literally going into antipsychotics. Is how you start drugging people to sleep. And I was pretty sure that nobody, um, that none of my seals. Uh, weren't sleeping because they had an ambient deficiency. I thought there was probably some other kind of deficiency going on, right? Um, and so I, when I started reading the literature, and, and this is this is interesting. I mean, I'm not a I'm not like a big conspiracy theorist guy, but when I first started reading about all of this, um, I guess seven years ago um, about the sleep drugs, there was all sorts of damning research on the internet like it was everywhere and it and it said 
really awful things about him. And I printed out a lot of those articles. And then I've recently tried to search for those articles and I can't find those anymore. I can, but I can I can find the ones, like the newer ones that say, well, Ambien decreases REM sleep um, by like 80%. Um, but I can tell you that my patients, when they did, when they did, um, when when I had them do a sleep study and they were using Ambien, I'd say, go ahead and use your Ambien and do the sleep study. And then after um, they'd been off of it for a while, I'd have them do another sleep study. Um, they would have like z- almost zero sleep. They would have like two or 3% of the night was actually sleep, what it should be. It would all be stage two sleep, which isn't completely useless, but it it's not what normally should happen. So you should normally go down into really deep sleep kind of first off. You go from stage one down to two, three, and four, which is like the slow wave sleep cycles. People talk about delta and theta. That's when you're secreting growth hormone. That's when you're secreting testosterone. That's when your immune system is at its highest functioning. You're repairing all the damage to your body. You're 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 restoring glycogen in your muscles and livers, and you know flushing out toxins and doing all this great stuff for your body. Um, and this is an oversimplification. Of course, things are going on in your brain at the same time. Um, but then REM sleep is primarily about restoring your brain. Um, and it's flushing out the neurotoxins in your brain and inflammatory uh, toxins in your brain and rebalancing the neurotransmitters and reactivating certain regions of your brain that are responsible for being able to think and concentrate and you know, remember and have a decent uh, working memory the, the next day. And if you don't get that REM sleep, then you wake up without that brain function. And that's what you're experiencing. Oh, my God. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, and very, very strange, strange feel. Like a, a, a hangover, I guess, in a sense, you know. Yeah, is, and, you know. and and that's a that's a great metaphor because uh, sleep uh, sleeping under the influence of alcohol is very similar. Like it, it totally distorts your sleep architecture as well. Um, but you know, interestingly enough, the reason that they say to put it on your bed side table and like get in bed and get under the covers and have a sip of water and then you take this and close your eyes and don't move again um, is because they've been successfully sued uh, several times because with what their drug does, it doesn't put you to sleep. What it does is it dissociates your brain. So when you think of the lizard brain, like, you know, that would be the brain stem down there. And then like on the top, you have this neocortex, the big human brain, which is what makes us the smartest animals on the planet. But that big neocortex is how we interact with the environment. It's how we interact with the world. I mean, it's responsible for what we see, what we do, uh, what we smell, what we feel, what, like everything. That's all in the neocortex. And what ordinarily happens in an ideal situation, if you have good sleep hygiene, your brain senses the decrease in light and then all these cycles of things start happening, um, ending one of the things most people know about is that it ends in the production of melatonin, which decreases stress hormones. Um, But another thing that happens is a serious increase in this uh, neuropeptide called GABA. And GABA's job is to go to the neocortex and kind of blunt it a little. It lowers the resting potential so it takes more stimulus for you to notice it. Um, You can overcome this if you've ever been super tired and sleepy and gone to a happy hour and been wide awake a few hours later, you know, that's, that's overcoming the GABA. Um, and you sort of, sort of flushing your brain and what these sleep drugs do 
is they try to act like GABA. They bind GABA receptors, but they want it to be stronger because it's a drug, right? So, you know, everyone in science thinks they're going to outsmart all these millions of years of evolution and and figure out like, oh, well, here's the only active part that matters. Um, and so they, f- they make these molecules that bind GABA receptors, but they work literally like a thousand times more intensely. Uh, and so it just shuts your neocortex off. And, you know, people take their Ambien, get out of bed, get in their car, drive down to the store, buy a bunch of junk food, come home, eat it, get back in bed, you know, four hours later, wake up four hours later and think they slept eight hours uh, because they don't remember anything until they go out in the kitchen and they see their mess, you know, and they're like, what the hell? It's, um, it's, it's very weird. It's like missing time, you know, it's like, yeah. It's like yeah. a, a psychological thriller plot or something. Almost, it's 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 really weird. And you know, I experienced that just a couple times. Like I said, I it's not something I've used a lot of, but enough to go, hmm, this can't be right. Like this is not yeah. normal, you know? Yeah, and actually, um, my my first uh, the first time I became aware of that was a personal experience. So. Um, my wife, when I met her, used Ambien uh, quite frequently, and she's actually uh, taught me a lot about sleep because she's been like my most difficult sleep patient. Uh, but we, when we were dating, we had this really long conversation one night about whether or not we were going to like fly to Bali or something and go to our friend's wedding. And it was a really long conversation. And then the next day I talked to her about it and she's like, what are you talking about? She had no recollection of it whatsoever. Um, And I thought, well, that, (laughs) did she have a stroke or, you know, um, and that, that kind of made me start thinking more about, you know, what's going on with these sleep drugs. And that was, that was one of the first reasons I looked into it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's going to definitely put some strain on the communication in a marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you have a talk about an issue and come to some great (laughs) resolution. You both make peace. And then the morning your wife's like, wait, what? I'm still pissed. (laughs) Yeah. Because because we all know that the wife wants to sort everything out right before bed. Like, oh, you're about to go to sleep. Let's discuss today's issues. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, I have 30 minutes of things I want to talk to you about. And then she's not going to remember that. And it's worse. That's but funny. It, interestingly enough, too, just just sleep deprivation strains uh, marriages. There's research where they sleep deprive one person um, in a couple. It doesn't matter which person they sleep deprive, and then they spend the whole day together. And at the end of the day, they evaluate each other. They go in separate rooms, and you know, it's um, a facilitated evaluation. And they regardless of which one is sleep deprived, they both say that the other one wasn't quite the same that day. It wasn't quite as present, didn't communicate as well, didn't feel as affectionate, you know, whatever. Like all the stuff that tends to get in the way of relationships. And, uh, you know, that was with six hours of sleep. So they were depriving them two hours of sleep. Um, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's very common that people sleep six hours every night. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and marriage counselors are probably making a lot of money. Where maybe that money should be going to sleep counselors. <laughs> <laughs> like let's get you sleeping great for yeah. a month, and then see then see what your problems are. You totally, I, subjectively, man. I mean, I'm I'm a person who just does a lot better with a lot of quality sleep. And if I don't sleep, I mean it. 
I, not everyone I know is like this. I mean, I think I'm I'm more sensitive to it. But if I don't sleep, I'm like a basket case. Seriously, it's really, really affects me. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you mentioned alcohol and we've covered a little of the, I guess you get a temporary Band-Aid from some of the sleep drugs, but there's obvious side effects and, you know, at a point become detrimental to the quality of sleep that you're actually getting. Uh, What are some of the other interrupters of sleep that people should be aware of? Well, the biggest interrupter of, of sleep in sort of Western civilization is the you know this frenetic uh, idea that every minute of your life has to be productive or you know you're wasting you're wasting valuable time and um, so people feel like you know for one they feel like they need to do too much all day long right and that starts affecting adrenal levels and when and adrenals are your stress hormones which are meant to keep you awake in proportion to your environment and to where you're responding uh, proportionately to your environment. And then we know the maximum adrenal function is what we call fight or flight, right? That's when something really dangerous happens, then you have maximum stress hormones. Um, But then they should go back down to really low, you know, uh, stress hormones, and that's where it should stay during the day. And one one of the things that has to be overcome for you to go to sleep well is for your stress hormones to be at a low enough level. So if you're running around super busy, and it doesn't have to be negative stress. I mean, I, I use the word stress and people think I'm talking about divorces or foreclosures on their home or something, but it's just, it could just be like, you know, a frenetic uh, schedule, right? It's just like every minute of my day is scheduled and I always have something to do right up until 10 o'clock when I'm going to go to bed or something. Um, so you know, the more you do that, the higher your stress levels are, which means you need to make more melatonin uh, and, you know, other neurotransmitters, but primarily melatonin to decrease the stress hormones. And the problem is if you have super high stress hormones and you're working right up until when you should be going to bed, guess what you're not doing? You're not making melatonin in the first place. Now you're going to lay in bed and try to initiate the cascade to make melatonin. So, I would say like stress and lifestyle is the biggest thing. Um, so one of the things I always harp on when I coach clients is one of the first things I have them do is find at least five ways to relax. So they don't need me, right? They, if they have Google, they can they can look up stuff forever, but they need some sort of relaxation techniques. Um, if they like to use gadgets, they can do heart rate variability training or Omega Wave or whatever. They can like I don't care what they do as long as they figure out how to cool themselves out. That's number one. Number two would be all of the sleep hygiene stuff. Um, and again, there's a million little tidbits of information, a little you know, clever little tricks that you can use. But the basics of the whole thing is that we're supposed to be entrained to the sun, right? And when the sun goes down, it stimulates some ganglia in the back of our eyes that leads to this really circuitous path that eventually causes our pineal gland to secrete melatonin and shut down the stress hormones like I was talking about. And then stuff down in the lizard brain starts producing a lot of GABA to kind of slow down the neocortex like I talked about, right? That's all sleep hygiene is. It's trying to make sure that the light is right and make sure that the stimulation isn't too high. Um, and that light can come from anywhere. It can come from you know these overhead bulbs I have. It can come from my television. It can come from my computer. It can come from my phone. So all these things people have heard about. But it, if you look at people who live without electricity, they fall asleep 
about three hours after the sun goes down. So that tells us that that cascade, that whole cascade takes about three hours. Um, and if you, you know, if you, if you have, you know, if you have to get up at six in the morning and you want to sleep from 10 to six and get your eight hours and you work till nine 30, you know, guess when you're going to fall asleep, you're going to fall asleep about two and a half to three hours later. Now men tend to be able to fall asleep faster, but when they're really stressed out, they wake up. Women usually have problems actually initiating sleep and going to sleep. And once they fall asleep, they're okay. Um, and that's, you know, there's some physiological reasons for that, but just primarily around muscle mass and how, and how big people are. That's okay. I gotta, I gotta unpack some of that stuff. So I've talked about on the show and I'm sure we'll continue to, to do so. Cause I've been hip to the blue light thing that you're talking about for a couple of years now. And I've, worked really hard to mitigate that. I mean, to the point of possible psychosis. I mean, there's like a, a building behind my building and they have one of these giant LED, like, you know, auto mm-hmm. parking uh, lights that come on when someone enters their driveway and it shines right in my bedroom window. Now yeah. I black out my, you know, my windows at night, but when I walk in my room, my whole house is amber light, right? I just, I have a night setting and a day setting. It's, oh, it's, cool. Yeah, it's great. And so it's just very relaxing and all that. But when I, when I would walk into my bedroom to go like, close the curtain, this big blue light would shine in my face from the neighbor. And yeah. it was, it was like, I'm looking in the surface of the sun. Cause I've yeah. been, I've been ambered out for two or three hours already, you know? Right. And right. so I actually like went to the hardware store and brought and bought an amber outdoor, you know, like spotlight and fucking snuck next door with a ladder <laughs> in the neighbor's yard and went in and, I mean, this is what a control freak I am. I admit it. I mean, whatever, what are you going to do? You know, at least I'm aware of the insanity. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, what's more insane? I look like not getting quality sleep or changing your neighbor's outdoor lighting. I don't know. But anyway, I went and changed that light to amber. And now it shines in my face and it doesn't bother me at all. So, yeah. you know, I've gone to some great lengths, in other words, to, uh, you know, mitigate the blue light. I, you know, now the iPhone has a, an inherent app, which is not an app, but a setting rather that shuts off the blue light. I have a screen on there, too. I mean... I'm pretty crazy about not seeing blue light at night when possible. You know, if I have to go out to dinner and have some fun, I'm not going to sit there like a spaz and have my orange glasses on in in a nice restaurant and embarrass my friends. I don't really care, but my friends do tend to get embarrassed by some of my behavior. Uh, But Uh what's interesting about what you're saying, Kirk, is that I'll like have my whole house ambered out. I have my orange glasses on and I'll be working on the computer, like doing stressful projects until 930 and yeah. be like, cool, I'm, I'm cranking the melatonin now. I'm just going to go <laughs> hop in bed and fall asleep into this deep REM sleep. And I, I just learned something very valuable that it's about, it's not only the lighting, but the behavior and the level of stress hormones that I'm creating. See, I didn't put the piece together that if, if I'm producing cortisol, I'm killing my melatonin. Right. So it's just defeating the whole purpose of my stupid orange glasses and all this stuff <laughs> if, I right. don't, if I don't actually stop working, you know? And right. it's, it's challenging for me because... I'm I'm just inherently a night person. I, I mean, yeah. I've been fighting it my whole life, and my peak time is like eight or nine at night. That's when I just crush and get creative and very productive. But I also naturally, I think because I do so much um, cold thermogenesis and I do a lot of sun gazing, I'm very in tune with the the lighting and you know the the rhythm of the planet my circadian rhythm is pretty on point so I wake up between 6 and 6:30 a.m. So yeah. it's like I I really can't 
let myself use that peak time at night. I'm, I'm like forcing my biology to change because I wake up at 6.30 and I go to the gym at 7 almost every day now, which is mm-hmm. insane for me. But it's, it's becoming more crucial in my daily routine that I optimize that melatonin production, um, not only with you know my lighting, but with the behavior and the habits as well. Because I don't have yeah. the luxury of sleeping in anymore. I just, I don't, I can't sleep in. Right. And, and, you know, what you just said is, is spot on and very common. If, if people are really well entrained to the circadian rhythm and, you know, all that is is circa is about dias a day, it's about a day rhythm, but it really just means that you're entrained with the sun, right? If you're entrained with the sun, you're going to wake up around sunrise. That's that's the way it works because that's what it means to be in train with the sun. It sucks. So, I used to be able to sleep into like eight thirty. It was amazing, and now it's just it's not happening anymore. I I became too in tune with my environment. Yeah, and yeah. and so what you're doing with the blue light is you know further enhancing that entrainment. So now like your options are to give up your product, you know, your productivity time, or you're going to you know, go to sleep later. And when you go to sleep later, you're still going to wake up at the same time. So you're going to sleep deprive yourself. And then that productivity is, you know, you might think it's productive. Yeah. <laughs> you'll yeah. be, you'll be self-deluding. Yeah. And, you know, and, and something that you mentioned earlier is very true too. Uh, and, it, and it's not unlike uh, nutrition or exercise or anything uh, like that. It's, it's very common that, you know, once you sort of idealize any aspect of your life, and then you try to go back to the non-idealized portion. You're like, oh my god, how did I ever do this? Like, I I went probably 12 to 13 years of sleeping about five hours a night or less because uh, that's when I was in college and medical school and internship and all that stuff. And I, you know, like I said, I was married. I had kids. I had all these responsibilities. I wanted to stay in shape. I went to the gym, which I now know was like the dumbest thing I could have possibly been doing. I would have been way better off not working out. Um, and uh, I somehow functioned during that. Like I, I was breaking like very quickly. I was, I was definitely falling apart. Um, but now like I sleep eight, nine hours a night. And if I get a six hour night, like, don't even talk to me. Like, nothing is going to happen today. I will get the bare minimum work done. Anything that's not going to collapse the business, I'll get done. But apart from that, it's like, I'm not, I am, I'm just not a useful human being after that. And the same was true. Um, when I, uh, first got to know Rob Wolf and he was, you know, one of the first paleo guys and he was anti-gluten, anti-gluten. And he explained to me these billion reasons why gluten was bad for me. And I was like, but I don't have any of those problems, man. I feel fine. And, you know, I can eat whatever I want to. And, um, so I, you know, I eventually acquiesced and I took gluten out of my diet, um, for about two years. And now I'm completely gluten intolerant. (laughs) Like just like a dusting of gluten blowing through the air sends me to the bathroom with diarrhea, like immediately. Yeah. Isn't that uh, strange? Isn't that strange? Cause I, I hear the same thing from so many people when I, when I switched to a really high fat diet, I mean, I knew I was sensitive. I'm not celiac or anything, but I knew I was sensitive to gluten and and dairy uh, to some degree. But when I got on a really high fat diet, it just it made it so easy to quit eating, you know, starch and carbs and bread. I mean, it's just like, wow, God, I don't really, 
I, I could, you could, uh, you'd have to pay me to like eat a freaking bagel. It's like, oh God, I'm just, I feel yeah. satiated. And then, but every once in a while, I'll have a moment of weakness, and I, like a crackhead driving by the crack spot, I'll go by like a um, like a cronut spot or something, you know, yeah. and just no one's looking, no one's in the car, I'm alone, and I have a little gluten relapse. And dude, there's uh, definitely a price to pay, and it is not psychosomatic. I mean, it's yeah. my body's going, wait, what? No, dude, we don't do this anymore. I I travel I, I travel a lot and uh, I'm in I'm in tons of airports and you know most of that stuff just doesn't even look like food to me anymore like you're talking about I'm actually I'm actually on a ketogenic diet and have been for years now so I, I've gone a little farther than uh, paleo um, and, and most of that you know bagels and sandwiches on big furniture it just doesn't even appeal to me like I don't I have no interest in that whatsoever but uh that shop that Satan runs the Cinnabon like <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when I walk past that I'm like don't look don't look don't look. you can't eat that it's bad for you like that's the only temptation I think there is left for me with the sort of artificial food world but yeah. um, but I you know I'd, I'd say I might give into it once a year or something, but yeah, uh, or and, and I pay the price dearly. And, and on, uh, on, I want to then that's a good segue into the topic of food. So I've found food timing is important. So I'd like to talk about you know when to eat, when not to eat in terms of optimizing your sleep. But what are some foods that are very supportive of quality sleep and some that are not so? Yeah. So really, I mean. Uh, it's funny when I went on Dr. Oz's show, they, you know, they called me and said, Hey, you know, we want you to come on and do a sleep segment and what sort of things you talk about. And I was like, well, I can talk about this. They're like, yeah, we've already done that. I'm like, how about this? Nah, already done it. And then done it, done it, done it, done it, done it. And then I mentioned something about food and I wasn't suggesting that as a topic. And they're like, Oh, that's perfect. We haven't done that. Can you come on and do a sleep diet? I'm like, Okay, <laughs> uh, I guess. I mean, but a sleep diet is no different than just like a healthy diet. Uh, and, you know, uh, what I would use to optimize anybody's health or performance is the same diet I would use for them to improve their sleep. And it really just comes down to insulin sensitivity and blood blood glucose control. So we know that diabetics and pre-diabetics and peri-diabetics have really poor sleep. And that's because you're... Human beings are the only animals on the entire planet that deliberately sleep deprive themselves. The only other time that other any other mammal will uh, sleep deprive themselves is when they're starving. And so if they're starving, their brain will just raise stress hormones. It'll change neurotransmitters. It'll make them stay up later and it'll make them get up earlier. It also makes them more impulsive uh, because they need to try novel things, right? Because their normal food source obviously isn't there. So they need to figure out what else can they eat. Um, so they take more risk. They get closer to people, you know, all of that type of stuff. Our brains are exactly the same way. We're just a mammal like anything else. And so when our brain starts sensing a big crash in blood glucose, our brain is sent, you know, uh, if you're not on a ketotic diet like me, like 90, you know, 99.9% uh, .9 of your brain's fuel is glucose. And your brain will do anything to make sure it gets its glucose, including wake you up. So when you start, and, and the interesting thing is, 
it's only the it's only the rate of change that matters. So you can still have high blood glucose, right? Like you're a diabetic, but you're a poorly controlled diabetic, and you start getting a blood glucose crash, and maybe the crash goes to a level that's still high, <laughs> technically, but there was a big change. Like you went from 200 to 150 in a couple hours, and your brain's like, "Whoa, starvation!" Like get up, and and so these people have really poor sleep, um, and. And of course, you know that was uh, you know one example, but it, this can happen to a small degree. I mean, it's only it only takes a few percentage points of change for people to have restless sleep. Um, and a lot of people have restless sleep don't even know they have restless sleep. Um, you, know, you you do a sleep study on them, and they'll wake up three hundred times in a night, and you ask them how they slept, and they're like, "Fine." Do you remember waking up? Nope. I never woke up once. Um, so it's really, a, you know, insulin is kind of the king hormone of everything. And, and uh, insulin and cortisol, you know, are, are really kind of the two big things that are controlling almost all of our physiology. Um, and it's often thought of as like insulin puts sugar into cells or leaves it in your blood, right? Like that's kind of what most people think about insulin. But insulin does fuel partitioning essentially. So essentially it affects every piece of protein, which would be your muscles, um, every every piece of protein that you have stored, um, all of the glycogen in your muscles, everything that you've eaten, what's in your bloodstream, what's in your gut, and it figures out what are we going to do with our current fuel situation? And it does what's called fuel partitioning. So you might burn fat, you might burn glucose, you might burn your muscles and you know use your muscles to break down into amino acids and then make glucose out of that. And so um, when your insulin sensitivity is off, you're like all of your hormones are off. And so, you know, I just tell people who have problems with sleep, if I, you know, I usually do labs on the people I'm consulting with, but if I'm just talking to an audience or something, I would say, you know, make sure that you're that you're not eating a bunch of refined carbohydrates, that you don't have these wild up and down swings of blood glucose because that's going to get in your way. Um, and then the other big mistake that people will make, and I, I've seen so much literature out there about, well, you should have protein before you go to bed, or you should have fat, or you should have carbs, or yada, 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 and so on and so forth. What you need to have is like a stable fuel source while you're going, you know, while you're sleeping. Now, if things are aberrant and you're, say, maybe just now switching to a low carbohydrate, high fat diet, um, probably protein is the thing to have. But there's, in order for you to sleep well, there has to be a balance of the autonomics. Are you familiar with that? No, or, okay. the autonomic so, nervous system. Yeah. Okay. So, I've, I, I explain it because I couldn't probably define it, but I get the basic idea. Yeah. So the the autonomic nervous system can be thought of as just the automatic nervous system, um, and it's really controlling everything that you're not thinking of. Right. Just controlling my breathing right now, my heart rate, my is blood that pressure. the is that the same as the parasympathetic nervous system? Right. So there's two branches of it. There's okay. This, okay. Cool. There's, okay. There's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, right. and the sympathetic is the one that we talked about earlier, the fight or flight maximum sympathetic tone is fight or flight and that take that puts all of your energy resources into fighting or fleeing or free or freezing and so it puts like it mobilizes all your fuel into your limbs and your muscles and it dilates your pupils and it dilates your you know it expands your lung volume and gets you ready to run you know decreases your you know, increases your reflexes decreases your sensitive your uh, sensitivity to pain all of that stuff. Parasympathetic is exactly the opposite. So parasympathetic is what we call the rest and digest. Um, so it's 
you know, putting all the blood, kind of pulling it all out of your limbs and putting it around your gut so that all of your, you know, visceral organs can work and do their job and you can digest the food and then your liver can do the processing it needs to do and so on and so forth. And those have to be balanced. So a lot of people are really concerned about sympathetic, like I got to decrease sympathetic tone. I got to de- and, and you do, and that's true. But if you're parasympathetically dominant, like you've swung it way to the other side, you'll still have problems sleeping. So that's why you don't eat a big meal right before bed. And, and this speaks to something um, that I, I meant to say earlier, when you were, when you were talking about using your amber lights and all those other stuff, the answer to getting good sleep is well known by most of us because if you've ever had kids or if you've ever been a kid, you'll remember that there's this really long bedtime routine that everybody goes through before the kid actually goes to sleep. You can't just take a three to five year old kid and put them in bed and say, you know, flip all the lights, like go to sleep. It's not going to happen, right? Like there's this wind down routine and you're not feeding them, right? You're not giving them, like nobody's going to be giving them chocolate and ice cream and stuff right before bed because they know that's going to, you know, they know that's going to spike them up, right? So they don't do that. They, you know, start slowing things down, like no, you know, no more wrestling. We're going to look at books or we're going to, you know, build puzzles or whatever. And then there's a bath, you know, the one of the benefits of the bath is that it lowers body temperature, which is one of the normal cues for falling asleep sleep and then you know there's jammies and powder and then you get in bed and you read stories and then you fluff up the animals and then you know whatever and and it's this whole protracted bit to get kids to go to sleep adults essentially need the same thing i mean you don't you don't have to wear onesies again but you know you 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 need to have like a full wind down routine and so my advice to you um it sounds like you're doing you know, all of the light saturation management very well, my advice to you would be set an alarm clock um, at night that tells you when work is over. And, and and that alarm clock is just as serious as the morning when it's time to start working. They're exactly, like, they're exactly on par. And when it's time to stop working, you stop working. And you go into your relaxation techniques. It can be whatever it is you want to do. I mean, it could yeah. be light yoga, you know, it could be stretching, it could be Tai Chi, it could be progressive muscle relaxation, it could be playing with a biofeedback or, you know, heart rate variability or whatever it is that chills you out. Um, Dude, that's, that's a, cause I have set an alarm, uh, you know, back when I was trying to go, going to bed, getting ready to wind down at 10 used to be like, a, you know, like that was a win for me. So if I was asleep by 12 or one, but now my lifestyle's changed, as I said, and I, I got out of the habit of setting the alarm. But I think the key distinction there is making that wind down alarm as meaningful and urgent as the wake up alarm. That, yeah. That's a really, that's a really great way to say that. Yeah. And I am going to apply that. Yeah. That's, right. that's amazing. Yeah. Really, really good. You know, of course, well, I'm going to say I intend to apply it, of course. <laughs> you know, you're, like, you're going to apply it. I, I, there's, have, there's, I have complete confidence. There's in you. deadlines sometimes, you know, and you have an exception, but I, I really like that. Um, in terms of the winding down process, so you mentioned, you know, HRV and, and you know, meditation and things like this. Um, I, I do have like a pretty good little you know, series of things that I can do. I have a bio mat, which is the sort of infrared mat that just really yeah. chills you out. I have an infrared sauna. Sometimes I'll take a sauna. I have a, a bulletproof sleep induction mat, which just, yep. you know, puts these crazy spikes. It's kind of like um, an acupuncture type um, yep. trick. And, you know, all sorts of little things that I'll do. But 
those things I found when I'm in a relationship tend to um, actually actually work is birth control to buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, on, honestly, you know, like I told you before we started the show, I, I'm very just real and transparent on the show, and then and I have like I think used some of those things as blocks to intimacy. It's sort of like when you're in a relationship and both partners are laying in bed on their freaking phone, you know, and not really spending that quality time together and and achieving a level of intimacy that keeps them bonded and close and growing together. So, you know, in in a recent relationship, I, I had to make kind of a concerted effort to um, stop some of my nightly rituals like that because they would separate me and sort of act as a, as a buffer between me and my partner. And it was interesting because, um, she wasn't necessarily like, I don't know if we, we took the time to develop rituals with one another other than the obvious ritual that you do before bed right? <laughs> you know, on a good night, right? Yeah. Um, but I think when you're in a relationship with someone that it would be important to try and develop habits with your partner, I mean, other than the obvious, like making love, right? right. Um, but habits that you could do together were that you mentioned doing stuff with your kids and we're sort of all used to that having kids or having been a kid where your parents really spend quality time with you and you, you know, you get that oxytocin up and there's, there's hugging and, you know, and caring and that real degree of intimacy. So it just dawned on me, God, how important that is if you're married or in a relationship that you sort of share that time with your partner. If you're sleeping in the same bed, you guys have to be sort of synced up in that way. So I, right. I wanted to see if you had any input on that. And then on the topic of sex as well, I mean, what does orgasm do for our sleep? What does that closeness, what's going on hormonally when we climax and when we have that, you know, that physical touch uh, later in the evening? Right. Well, I mean, the the first thing that you, that you were talking about, I I think is is very important, and um, and the and the uh, the one sort of thing I would add to that is that uh, in order for you guys to share that uh, bonding, um, you know. Uh, supportive energy and and time together doesn't require you both to do the same thing, right? It just would it just would require you both to be <laughs> okay, present. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to both be lying on twin sleep induction mats, <laughs> right? Spiking right. yourself uh, at the same time, right? Okay, go on. Yes. I'm so with as, you. So as long as you're you know as long as you're just being really present with each other and like there's and this is not of course the time to discuss you know relationship issues or anything, but you know this is just the time to you know you, you know be empathic and feel your partner and, and be present for your partner and your partner is present for you. And there may not, may not require any talking, but you know, whatever talking is necessary, you know, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm not telling people not to talk. Um, I think you're dead on that. It, it really is more of a, an issue of prioritization. And that's my biggest problem. When I work with people who, you know, who sleep poorly and I try to get them to sleep well, the biggest thing I have to do is convince them that they actually need more sleep. Um, you know, uh, and, and usually those aren't people who are coming to me for sleep. Those are people who are coming to me for other health or optimal, you know, performance issues. And then, and I tell them, I could say, Hey, I want you to eat nothing but kale. And they'd be like, okay, and write it down there, a little notebook. All right. Only kale. I'm just going to eat kale. And then I want you to meditate two hours a day. Okay. I'm going to meditate two hours. And then I want you to go to the gym two hours a day. Okay. And then write that down. And I said, I want you to sleep eight hours. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't do that. I don't have time to sleep. I'm like, you just agreed to four hours of meditation and exercise, but you can't sleep two extra hours. Um, 
So if your partner shares your values around sleep and how important all of that is, then, you know, that'll work itself out. Like, you know, maybe she's going to go take a cold bath and you're going to lay on your bulletproof mat, right? It doesn't doesn't matter. Um, But it just matters that you two are kind of sharing that same state, right? You're both kind of in the same state. Um, That's why it's like not cool for one person to be drinking and the other one not to because you're not in the same state. The communication suffers and the relationship suffers. So, um, you know, that's all I'd really say about the, the preparatory phase. And then, um, you know, the, I mean, there, there's lots of hormonal changes going on during sex, but the one thing that people talk a lot about is the, is oxytocin, the, the love hormone or whatever. And, you know, that is, you know, supposed to, if you look at medical literature, uh, that is supposed to induce sleepiness and having an orgasm leads to a big oxytocin release and you're supposed to feel more relaxed and go to sleep. Um, I think over a few thousand years of uh, evolution and and societal programming, it makes women want to talk instead of go to sleep. Um, And that's just kind of an unfortunate side effect of of what's happened. Um, But the the, you know, the overall concept is that it is more relaxing and it makes both people feel more secure. There's also a big dopamine rush in there and dopamine is like the pleasure kind of everything great kind of hormone. And like I said, the, the biggest reason people don't sleep is because of stress and stress hormones. And so if you're getting a big oxytocin flush and you're getting a big dopamine flush, then, you know, you're going to have less stress. You know, you're going to, your priorities are a little more straight, right? Like after you really bond with somebody, you're like, oh yeah, this is what life's about. It's not about the ROI of, you know, whatever business venture I just did or some kind of stupid stuff like that. Right. Okay, you know? cool. Cool. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned how uh, the orgasm affects men and women <laughs> differently. Yeah. That's definitely true. It's and, supposed to be the same, but in my experience, yeah, it just hasn't turned out yeah, that Yeah, I think any, I, and I think, partner or not you know most men listening to this at some point have figured out how how to have an orgasm on their own just fine <laughs> and and use that as a sleep supplement on a regular basis i mean i'm not saying i have but you know, Never. yeah, yeah. It's, it's you can basically knock yourself out, ladies. You might not be aware of that, but that is the ultimate sleeping pill for for us fellows. Yeah. So, um, okay, cool. So we covered that. Now, I'd like to get into supplementation here as we come to the end. You know, and I guess obviously we could do a whole hour on this. And you've got what looks to be um, based on my ingredient assessment, a really great sleep stack that you've created. I want to share what I'm up to right now with you and see if you have any recommendations on that because it's something that I recommend to friends and clients that I work with a lot. And it, it looks to be kind of very similar to what you're up to. So, And I want to see if you, you find any danger in this because I noticed yours has uh, melatonin in it. So I had some questions about that. Uh, what I'll do is about maybe th- 30, 45 minutes before bed, I'll throw some almond milk or some coconut milk in my Vitamix. I'll add some collagen protein, some tryptophan, some GABA, uh, maybe some Phenibit HCL, not every night, but you know, two or three nights a week, a little, a little dab of that. Um, I'll put some L-theanine in there and I'll do some resistant starch and then some kind of like goat kefir, some kind of probiotic. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I missed anything. Oh, and then I'll also do some like vitamin B12, Dr. Marshall's like liquid sort of probiotic-based um, B12, I think. 
Oh, and God, some stevia for real because <laughs> it tastes disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'm trying it, to think if any I like magnesium. Yeah, and magnesium. Yeah, I use okay. the Natural Stacks, um, you know, MagTech, which is I forget it's magnesium glycosate <clears> something. It's supposed to cross the blood-brain barrier and be like a superior form of magnesium. So, yeah, I, I think that's the uh, I think that's the stack. And I and I heard from um, a guy named Stephen Folks who wrote the book on smart drugs, essentially, literally, uh, two of them, in fact, who's been on Dave Asprey's show. And he talks about how, and I still don't get how this works, but he seems like a smart guy, so I tried it, how if you if you mix uh, collagen protein with tryptophan, that it amplifies the effect of the tryptophan like 6x. <laughs> but you have to kind of let it sit there. So I'll make my drink and then just like leave it on the counter or put it in the fridge and... This drink that I've created, as I said, I mean, it tastes like shit, but I mean, yeah. it's like people have a hard time driving on it. I mean, it knocks you on your ass. And I guess my question is, you know, are any of those ingredients suspect to you or does it sound like a good combo? And do you, do you see any risk in, you know, that becoming habit forming or, um, you know, if I'm taking GABA every night, is that interfering with my GABA receptors? Am I doing anything that could harm me in the long run? And, um... Because I've heard with melatonin, and that was my question on that. It's kind of a two-part question, I guess, with the melatonin is that if you're taking melatonin as a supplement, then that sends a signal to your body saying, oh, cool, we don't need to make that anymore, and that you sort of become dependent because your body stops producing it. So with the things that I mentioned and melatonin, how does that sound as, as a strategy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think your your combination sounds sounds pretty good. Um, I mean, I, I would have a postulate as to why the collagen would help. Um, and it probably has to do with the active transport of um, amino acids into the blood-brain barrier. And, and, and I could postulate something on that, but I, I don't know. I haven't researched that. Um, I will, though, after the show, because I, I, that's fascinating You to might me. even find, it's Stephen Folks, it's F... O W K E S. I think he's been on um, Bulletproof Radio a couple times, and that's that's where I first heard him talk about. It, and then I saw him at a lecture, and it it sounded very convincing. So I just started doing it. And it's it seems to be effective. You might even find a quote or something. So anyway, yeah. So I, I'll I'll look into that. Um, you know everything else that you're talking about. So the GABA that you're taking, um, probably about one to 3% of that is actually getting into your brain. Um, however, you have about one-tenth of the number of neurons in your brain you have in your gut. So um, those gut neurons are doing the same thing, producing melatonin, and those gut neurons are kind of slowing things down in your body. Um, the GABA that you're taking is working on those. And in fact, that was my original formulation when I was working with the SEAL teams was just to have regular GABA in there. Um, you know the the uh, fenbut that every you know that everybody gets so spun up about. It's a lot like vitamin D three. When I when I first started doing all of this, I was giving people. I want to say I was giving them like ten thousand IU's of vitamin D three a day, uh, but I was checking their labs right, and I was giving them the Carlson sublingual drops, which were supposed to be the best absorbed. And I was watching their labs come up, and it takes a long time for for labs to come up. Um, and at that time, the USRDA of vitamin D three was four hundred IU's. And I was giving them 10,000. And so the Navy had some serious concerns about this voodoo that I was doing and whether or not I was going to give people vitamin D toxicity. 
I'm like, there's no way this is going to lead to vitamin D toxicity because I'm tracking their labs and I'm making sure. And then so I said, well, let me look this up. Let me look up how prevalent is vitamin D toxicity. Um, what does it cause? What are the you know, what's the big effect of them or whatever? And so if you look at the literature on it, um, which is like I, I and I mean specifically medical literature because you know, people can write whatever they want to on blogs and so forth. If you look at, if you go to someplace like PubMed or the CDC or whatever, and you start looking at case reports, um, there are exactly two case reports of vitamin D toxicity um, in 50 years or something since the supplement's been out. Um, and both of those people were taking 2.5 million IUs per night for six months or something. And the vitamin D toxicity consisted of a little bit of nausea and a headache. And the solution was to quit taking vitamin D3 and they were fine. So I'm like, all right, I'm not super concerned about this at this point. Um, and so when I, you know, when I decided to try the pH GABA or, or the Fenbutin in my product as, as opposed to just the, the regular GABA, um, you know, that was one of the things that came up. Well, you can, you can become dependent upon it. You can become tolerant of it. You know, you can, uh, you know, they're, um, not, yeah, addiction, not addiction. So it's, uh, what is it? dependence, dependence and withdrawal. All right. Or those are the two medical phrases that kind of define, uh, those types of things. Um, and again, I said, "All right, well, let me let, let me look at the literature before I put this in my product." And I look it up, and again, I found two cases of well, one case of withdrawal and one case of dependence. Two point five to three point five million uh, milligrams of Fenbut every night for you know six nine months or something. Oftentimes, they're taking it multiple times per day, so they're taking it throughout the whole day, and they kind of felt like this dysphoric sort of dissociative thing. And really, if you look at what you're doing with that, fenbut is GABA. It is a GABA molecule with a phenol ring on it, and that phenol ring allows you to get GABA into your brain, and then it behaves a lot like GABA. I mean, like closer to just regular GABA than anything else you can get into your brain, and that. Fenbut isn't broken down at all. It just gets flushed out of your system and it comes out of your urine as fenbut. Like it just goes in your brain and then after a few hours it leaves your brain. So the you know the poison of anything is in the dose. Uh, you know you can you can have a single pellet of rat poison and you'll be fine. But if you eat a bowl of it, you're probably in trouble, right? So it, it, it's the same idea. Um, and the dependence of it or you know the resistance of it is what most people. Um, are most concerned about. They want to know, you know, is it going to be habit forming? Am I going to need it every night? And if I need it every night, like, will I be able to sleep without it? And how do I get myself off of it? And am I, is it going to quit working for me after a while? And the answer to that is maybe, <laughs> but it's all in the dose. Again, like I use a, I use an incredibly small amount of that because you just don't need that much. Like my product is not designed to knock people out for eight hours. It's designed to initiate sleep. It's designed to initiate the cascade. So a lot like what you're doing, I just have all the constituent parts of the melatonin production pathway in there. So tryptophan becomes 5-hydroxytryptophan. And then with the help of vitamin D3 and magnesium, 5-hydroxytryptophan becomes serotonin. And then serotonin becomes melatonin. And that's our end result. And then I give a dusting of melatonin in there, and I'll address your melatonin thing in a second. And then the other thing that doesn't tend to happen when people's 
you know, sleep hygiene or lifestyle just don't allow is that they don't have enough GABA in their brain to keep, keep this whole cascade off. And so the whole idea of my product is, you know, I, I could sit there and say, you know, do all of these things and like, here's your ideal life, but you know, here's reality. And then you supplement in between that. That's what's called a supplement. I mean, we're using mitigating techniques. We're using glasses and we're using, you know, relaxation techniques and, you know, acupuncture mats. And, you know, we're supplementing for what's not ideal because most people can't live, you know, without any rules and do exactly what they want to do every day. Um, so that's really all my product is, is like a little bit of GABA to initiate that lasts a couple of hours, um, all of sort of the ingredients to make melatonin, um, and then a, a super small amount of melatonin uh, that will be gone out of your brain within a couple of hours. So if your brain doesn't keep doing it, if your brain doesn't you know, ramp up its uh, melatonin production, then you'll wake up and, and you know, if you do everything wrong and take and take my sleep product and get in bed, it's probably not going to make a whole hell of a lot of difference. You might fall asleep a little faster, but you're probably going to still wake up. If that's your problem, you're probably still going to wake up in the middle of the night. So you still have to make an attempt to do the other things. And I have lots of advice on my, on my site, you know, those, those types of things people could do. Now to answer the melatonin question specifically, when I, when I first started researching this, um, I read some really convincing arguments, um, although it wasn't data, um, that exogenous melatonin, mean, which means taking it from the outside, putting it inside your body, exogenous melatonin production or exogenous melatonin would decrease endogenous production of melatonin. And I think that's true. I'm like I would be really shocked if it's not true because it would be the only hormone that we know of that that's true. Um, every other hormone, if I give you that hormone, you quit producing that hormone. However, there has been some research in the last four to five years where they're doing salivary assays on people. They're giving them big doses of melatonin at night and then they're testing their melatonin production before they go to bed the next night before they give them their supplement. And it seems like they're still producing the same amount of melatonin. Now that could be... Again, that other melatonin from the gut, right? That could not, maybe that's not representing what's in the brain. Um, and my suspicion is that's probably true. However, what the research has borne out, and essentially, therefore, it makes no difference um, because it's two sides of the same coin, is that your receptors for melatonin will go away if you take too much melatonin. So it's what we call super physiologic, right? So if you take more melatonin than your brain would possibly produce, and it's around a lot and for a long time and very frequently, your brain just, or your body is a smart organism, right? It doesn't make anything it doesn't need to make. So if there's a billion, a billion molecules of melatonin around, instead of needing, you know, 10,000 receptors, I might only need 1,000 receptors because this stuff is so readily available. So when you downregulate the receptors and then you quit taking melatonin, 
and then your brain's producing a normal amount of melatonin. Now you don't have enough receptors. And so now you have to wait for all those receptors to grow back, which is, you know, six to eight weeks or something like that. Um, and so from the time, if you lived without electricity, from the time the sun went down until the time you woke up in the morning, um, your brain would produce somewhere around six micrograms of melatonin over that full period. And the half-life of melatonin is only a couple of hours. So, you know, other than taking a small dose to kind of help you initiate the cascade, um, I don't, you know, I don't recommend taking melatonin on a regular basis. If you want to take it for jet lag or something and just like totally zonk yourself out and it works for you, it only works for about 30% of the people like that. Um, but if, you know, melatonin totally knocks you out and you want to take three milligrams of melatonin, you know, three days before your trip and then on your flight and then three days after your trip or something, you know, you're not going to change your brain's physiology in that short of a length of time, but I wouldn't do it chronically. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cause I I definitely have had some friends that, and they're taking, like you said, I mean, they're taking way too much. They're taking like, what is it? Three milligrams, five milligrams. I mean, the average like melatonin dose to my understanding is way higher than you should ever be taking anyway. Right. Yeah. And you, I mean, you should never even take, I mean, if you're using it every day, you should never even take a milligram, Uh, you know, but I mean, most people who are sensitive to melatonin, who, who can use it for jet lag, they can usually get away with about one milligram. And so I would keep it the lowest as possible. I mean, that's my philosophy with anything is sort of minimum effective dose and minimal intervention. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, listen, man, uh, I think we've about covered it. We accomplished what I wanted to accomplish here, which is really getting into the science of sleep. And uh, so you've been a great teacher for us today. Who have been, this is my closing question here, which always trips people out and it's okay. It's okay if you take a minute to answer. Who have been three of your mentors or teachers in life? Like who are the experts you go to when you want to find out information? And that could be in the form of a book, a person, a documentary, a philosophy, you know, where, where, what's the level above you if we want to go to where you learned um, the tricks of the trade from not necessarily about sleep, but just any, you know, performance, happiness, optimization, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would actually have a harder time limiting that to three than, than I would coming up with three people. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I rely very heavily on experts and that's really how I learned so quickly what I, what I know is because I was in this great position being the SEAL, you know, the West Coast SEALs doctor, I could call these experts and say, hey, I read your book and I'm the doctor for the SEALs on the West Coast and I was wondering if I could come train with you or, you know, anything like that. Um, And they were like, oh, of course, yes. They're always willing to help, you know, with consultations or do any kind of training or give me more information than what was in their book or whatever. Um, So, I mean, there's just, there's a huge, huge cohort of that. Um, I I mean, I would say... You know, if if you wanted, when I want to talk sleep, uh, like neurophysiology, somebody who really knows like what every little neurotransmitter is doing, what region of the brain is it being produced in, what are the sequelae of that, how long does it last, like all, like you get super, super technical, like this is PhD level stuff. Um, I go to Dan Party, uh, and Dan Party is... um, his his uh, website is Dan's Plan, and he has sort of this lifestyle coaching um, program and app, and that uses Fitbits and all sorts of things like that. Um, 
for for nutrition, Rob Wolf's my my primary go to guy just because I can understand him. <laughs> he yeah he he talks at he talks at my level. Um, I'm definitely not PhD level nutritionist either. Um, ketogenic diet uh, stuff I like. Um, both Dominic Diagostino, but uh, primarily Peter Atia is my guy um, for that. Um, and then I would say for just sort of um, the ability to coach people um, and even coach myself, you know, like even, you know, get myself back in line and get my own mindset right. Um, I had this uh, brilliant mentor in medical school. I want to say he's about to turn 85 years old, still working. Uh, I know he's, he's turning 84. He said he wants to make sure he turns 85 uh, because he wants to be old, old and still working, which I guess is some category in medicine. I don't know. Um, brilliant old little Jewish guy with his, you know, round wire spectacles and his beard and a bow tie and a three piece tweed suit. And, um, just a phenomenal guy who just has the, the life wisdom of what you would expect from, you know, Buddha or, or Yogi or something like that. Um, but you know, heavily slanted towards medicine when I talk to him about it and, and how to interact with patients and clients and stuff like that. Um, interesting story about him is he, he actually, sat down by himself with Albert Einstein for an hour and a half. No way. While he was in medical school. No way. And had a had an hour and a half long conversation with Albert Einstein, just just the two of them. Um, he, he went to the medical school that is now called Albert Einstein's Medical School, uh, or School of Medicine. Um, and there was a snowstorm on the day and he lived right next to the school and everybody else had to take public transit in. So he got to the school and he was the only one there besides Albert Einstein because he had come to look at the school to see if he wanted to you know, lend his name to that, to that institution. And, uh, you know, the few administrators who had made it in just told Simon, they're like, well, just go, go in there and talk to him. And you know, can you imagine the intimidation level of that is probably all of, you know, 23 or 24 years old, uh, when went and talked to Albert Einstein for an hour and a half and had like a really, really broad conversation with him about all sorts of things. And I, that's just one of the coolest things ever, but I mean, it really epitomizes who the guy is. It wasn't like something exceptional about him. Like there's, I have 10,000 stories about him that are just like that. And so, wow. He, he's he's my guy when I'm when I'm trying to control my own emotions or trying to coach other people to, to control their emotions and I'm kind of out of ideas or um, yeah yeah that's that's my guy Simon awesome, o- Sam, Simon Oster still teaches at uh, the medical school I went to awesome man thank you yeah. for sharing that yeah I think in my life too those those type of mentors that have been more philosophical, you know, to some degree. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I have one right now and, you know, I've been going through some stuff recently and making a lot of phone calls. Hey man, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think about this? And they go, don't fucking do that. <laughs> you yeah. know, you, what yeah. you're thinking is not in reality. And they kind of smack me upside the head and get me back into, you know, a closer version of reality. And, um, you know, just someone who has that life experience is so crucial. I mean, yeah. I, I, w- I honestly don't think I'd be alive if it weren't for mentors like that, that, you know, had yeah. a, had a more broad, and perhaps wise perspective on human life and the world and what we're doing here. Yeah, and they and they tend to be able to do it in like one really salient sentence. <laughs> yeah, that you're just yeah. like, 
and you just feel like a moron as soon as you get what they're saying. You're like, oh, geez, of course. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Of course, that's what I should be thinking or, you know, why I'm suffering, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. You know. Cool. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that and thanks for the episode. But before we go, I want to let our listener know where they can find you and what you do. Oh, wow. Well, what I do would take a whole nother hour. But um, <laughs> what's your website, URL, so, your social uh, media, anything you want to share? Yeah, so docparsley.com, just D-O-C, and then parsley like the herb, docparsley.com. You can kind of find everything about me. Um, I think there's even a link on there to like, you know, click for lectures or consultations or something, but I, I'm booked up for years, but you can do it anyways. <laughs> um, Things th- 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 shift here and there. If you really, I mean, you can email me from that site and so forth, but if you have like quick questions, um, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm at Doc Parsley, and that's probably how I interact with the vast majority of people when they just have like one quick question. And like your melatonin question comes up five times a week, you know, right. <laughs> it doesn't, right. it doesn't matter. Like I, I can chase it, trace the analytics and see that it went out to like 265,000 people saw it and still get the same question like two days later or whatever. But, right. um, that, that's probably where I'm the most active on. Um, you know, in my site, you know, my site, you can follow me on Twitter or Facebook or any of that other stuff. But the one that I, I really engage with is Twitter. Awesome. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I noticed a lot of people in the health field are, are very engaged in Twitter and I love that. I mean, you can follow a conversation and actually learn a lot. And it's, it's sort of like for someone like you that's active on Twitter, it's cool because you don't have to have, you know, a high profile person's phone number, but you can kind of text them if, right. if they're engaged, which is cool. And then everyone yeah. gets to see sort of the conversation and, uh, and benefit from, you know, the inquiry as well as the answer. So I appreciate that. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kirk. And I look forward to chatting with you again. All right. My pleasure, Luke. I don't know about you, but after this interview with Dr. Parsley, I'm ready to go pass the F out, yo. Like sleep sounds so good after hearing how meaningful it is and all of the different things we can do to improve it. So thanks so much for joining me on this episode of The Lifestylist. And make sure you click subscribe on your podcast player so you can catch next week's episode number 33 with James Swanick, where we talk about the most powerful habits of entrepreneurs. Hey, and don't forget to go to lukestory.com forward slash support where you can throw in a couple bucks to help keep this party going. You can do a one-time pledge or even a monthly contribution and any little bit helps, I swear. So go to lukestory.com forward slash support and show some love. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks. I'd like to again thank Samina Sleep Systems and remind you to get over to justhealthysleep.com and when you do, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 5% off all beds and accessories. Now that might not sound like a big savings, but these beds are really quite an investment as you're going to find. So 5% can mean a few hundred dollars. So uh, definitely remember that code. And as I said earlier, if you're in Southern California, you can also make an appointment on the site to go over to their showroom and see these beds for yourself. Once you see them, If you're anything like me and you really care about health, you're going to become obsessed with getting one. I mean, they are that cool. They're literally the dopest beds on the entire planet, in my opinion. And I've checked out a lot of healthy bed systems. So Samina Sleep Systems, find that at justhealthysleep.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 5% off, or just get over there and make an appointment to see the showroom. Tell them I sent you, you're gonna save some cash and you're going to sleep very well for many, many years.